You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Tzurma Rabbonon. We now in, embark on a new chapter of study. We have going to be involved in the Hilchos of Gerus, the Lochos of Conversion. As you can see here from the Tsurba editors, they write, although as we there was always individuals interested in converting for ulterior motives, in recent times this phenomena has increased significantly, both in the diaspora as well as in the state of Israel. Many of these people are not necessarily interested in fully adopting a Torah lifestyle and may convert simply because their spouse is Jewish or because in Israel they wish to become part of Israeli society. This challenge raises a number of halakha questions. This is on page 213 of your tzurva, related to the process of gerus, including the following. If a potential convert doesn't wish to accept the responsibility to fulfill all of the mitzvahs upon him, is it possible to convert him? And two, if a convert does agree to fulfill the mitzvahs properly, but does not lead a religious lifestyle following the conversion, is his conversion nullified retroactively? So, the um, they also mention in a footnote that in order to ascertain that potential converts are truly sincere and are familiar with basic Jewish law, the current practice is in most places is for the conversion process to be lengthy one that can take many months, including attending extensive classes as well as residing in a neighborhood with religious Jews. In addition, they are often matched up with a religious family with whom they can share Shabbat, Shabbat or Shabbos and Yontif experience and experience other aspects of religious Jewish. The source of Kabbalah's mitzvahs, and what Kabbalah's mitzvahs means. You know, it's it's as as many people have already pointed out. A there's there are going to be um, persons who are part of Klal Yisrael already, who go through day in and day out. And on one level, they feel they're makabal mitzvos, but they know that they have this yetzer hara that that is stopping them. They hear about how bad loshon hara is. They hear about how bad histaklus looking at things that they shouldn't be looking at is. They hear about the importance of of not speaking in shul and having sichas chulin. So you could say, are they makabal those mitzvos? Well, they pay lip service to it, but how many of them really feel? that they want to live that way and they will live that way. How many of them in their life live that way? And it's pointed out that we expect more from a Ger Tzedek because, and the answer would be obvious, a person who's part of Klal Yisrael already, he's forced into it. He is what he is. But to be able to make this leap from not being part of Klal Yisrael to being part of Klal Yisrael, from not being a Jew to being a Jew. So you have to have a solid base. There has to be a true Kabbalah. And that doesn't mean that the person will always live his life with the same sort of inspiration and the same sort of commitment. 
and the same sort of truth. But if he doesn't start, if he doesn't begin, if there's no period that, that we see the difference, then where is it that Gairus has happened? Can it be just the agreement to go through the process? This is really, I think, what makes us have to try to understand what is Kabbalah's and where is the source for Kabbalah's mitzvahs. And as you can see, you know, there is already um, a description, um, and you can see this from Rabbi Willig, has written about it in Beis Yitzchok. He says that um, that if a person truly wishes to fulfill the directives of the Torah, but realizes that he will inevitably sin in some manner, just as religious Jews also inevitably sin in one way or another, that is not a problem. But based on this Chuvas Achiezer, he says, which we haven't read yet, but you can imagine there's other cases where Rabbi Wilvig says that the person, while he is going through the process, he intends, he has no commitment. He he expects not to keep Shabbos or Kashras in a major way. That is considered a flaw in the actual acceptance, as these are considered by religious Jews to be critical tenets in the practice of Judaism that are not usually violated intentionally. So there's other interpretations, but this is what Rab Mordechai Willig, the Rashiva of Yeshiva University, says. So I think, you know, I think we could pair this to what, what Miriam is saying. In other words, it's a little bit different. There is an idea that, boy, this is hard. Boy, there's a lot of stuff to be being a religious Jew. Uh, I do accept it. Does that mean I, I, I in the, in my brain, am I thinking perhaps that that I'll be able to keep them all? I'm probably thinking in my mind that I probably I'm gonna probably not gonna be able to keep them all. That's not necessarily invalid, because as I tried to say, all of us go through Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and we scream at the top of our lungs, Hashem Kim, but we don't necessarily have that complete commitment. But it's possible that there might be a flaw in some Kabbalah's mitzvahs. Now, where does this all come from? Now, I am going to take this in a direction that, Miriam, maybe you wouldn't think about. And I'm going to take it to two spots. I want to take it to the Rambam, and I want to take it to the to February 1807, the, the convocation of the Grand Sanhedrin in, the, in Paris. I want to talk about both of these two, of the Rambam and the questions that confronted the members of Napoleon's Sanhedrin, as it was called. And the question had to do not with conversion, but the question had to do with marrying a non-Jewish person. As I read in the introduction, most of these issues are either about trying to get Israeli citizenship and being an Israeli slash Jew, or marrying a Jewish man or woman. So I believe a good place to start, I think a good place to start is the problems of, of the Rambam says in Hilchos Isurebiyah, 
Sefer Kedusha. Yisrael Shabol Goya Mishar HaUmais Derech Ishus. What does that mean? He wants her to be. He wants her to be his wife. He wants this non-Jewish woman to be his wife. Or it's the opposite. There's a Jewish woman who wants to become a wife through sex and start living a married life with a guy. There is makos from the Torah for if that occurs. Shanemar. Now, even though one could say that is only the seven nations, Chazal say includes more, includes anyone not from Kal Yisrael. Now, you could say, well, doesn't if you look in the context of that Pasik, isn't that Pasik seemingly only talking about as you can see here, isn't that Pasuk seemingly only talking about the seven nations? That's what it would seem if we if we take a look on that Pasuk in, in Devarim Perek Zion. So the Rambam quotes the Pasuk in Ezra because when Ezra spoke about this, he says, Asher lo nitan And by this time, Sancheirev had come and already placed other nations in what was the land of Eretz Yisrael. And Ezra was not referring to the seven nations. Now, however, the Rambam says, it's about living a married life. The sex is the way married life begins. And that's what the Rambam says in the beginning of Hilchasishos. That's the way before the Torah was. That, that was what it was. That is how married life began and stayed that way. So the Rambam says something which is pretty shocking. Having relations as the beginning of marriage is also, but not the sex itself. It's not the sex with the shiksa, as it's called. No, it's not. That's that's not the iser. The iser is the sex. Is you want to be married, or you want this to be? You want this to be your life. But if a person sees a non-Jewish woman or a non-Jewish woman sees a non-Jewish man and they want to engage in sex with them as Znus. So it's only Osir Midrabonan, Makna so Mardus Midivre Sofrim. Because maybe this is not going to, going to be just a one-time deal. Maybe this will eventually become a marriage. Now, what about she becomes your squeeze. Let's say I'm not marrying her. She's just my my whore. She's just this woman that I have sex with all the time, but I, I, I don't treat her as a married wife at all. I don't, we don't move in together. We don't plan to have children together. So here, 
the Gemara says, and the Rambam quotes the Gemara, Chayavala Mishum Nida, Mishum Shivcha, Mishum Goya, Umishum Zona. So we 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 blame you. We say you're living with a Nida, even if you send her to the mikvah. We we say this is a Shivcha. And we know a Shivcha Harufa, the Torah writes in Parsha and Sefer Vayikra, you get Makos. Mishum Goya is Leisuschatenbam, even though it's not, and Mishum Zona. Now, is there an Isser Znus if you're not a Kohen? So there is something called Lois Lesia Kedesha, but the Rambam says in a minute, you'll see in a minute, Vimlo Yechadalo Elenikres Nikro, let's say. You, she doesn't become your main squeeze, but once in a while. It happens once, a couple of months later. So then what we say is, you're high of Makas Mardos because you had sex with a guy. But then he says, even if she becomes your main squeeze, it's all Darabana. These are all language, these are all rabbinic. Okay. Now, Now, the Rambam says there's an exception about a Kohen. Because a Kohen, a Kohen, as we learned in today's Dafyomi, Kohen Aboa Lokem in Mishum Zona. So, but a Yisrael, it would be an Isra Darabona. Hmm. Now, there's, of course, another case of sexual intercourse with a non-Jew. But if it happens that means that somehow you do it in front of 10 people or more. Now again, what does this mean? This, of course, is the story of we learn out from the Torah from Pinchas and Zimri. Does this mean it doesn't mean that it's out in the open. It means everybody knows it's happening. Now, again, this is a, a very interesting question. And as we're going to see, it has to be at, at, at how about if, if people know about it? If you are, if, if, if 10 Jews know that you are about to have, go on your honeymoon, <laughs> you're about to go into the motel with after your marriage, after your civil ceremony, if you're in the middle of the act of in that hotel room, they can break into that hotel room and, and kill you. And if they do, we give them a pat on the back. We say, yes. Now, where do you know this from? You know this as a local motion, Sinai. But you can see it from the Torah as well. But the Torah itself wouldn't be enough of a heter, the story of Pinchas. The Pinchas, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu praises Pinchas for what he did isn't enough. The Rambam says there needs to be a, uh, there needs to be a local Moshe Misenai that goes together with it. And that is that all that these rules apply. And it's true, it's based on Pinchas and Zimri, 
But the fact that it's not only true for then, but it's true always, and it's true today, that's a local Moshe Misenai. And it has to be Bishas Maisa, as we said, Avalampia Peirash, but if they've already stopped having sex or they do, or they even haven't started, you can't kill them. And if you do, then you're a murderer. Now, interesting. This is one of the most incredible halachas, really, that we have, which is, you know it's happening. If you know they're in that Motel 6 after the civil ceremony, and you know that they're going to be engaged in 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 an in act of coitus very soon, and you go to Besdin, Besdin's not going to tell you to do it. Even though you have the video and you know it's a videotape or you have a machine and you realize whatever, you have closed circuit TV and you know what's happening right now, Besdin's not going to tell you to do it. And it's even further. Let's say you break into that room to kill him. And you you throw your spear, you shoot your pistol, you miss. And the man who was having sex with the non-Jew realizes you're there to kill him. He jumps on you and takes the window shade cord and wraps it around your neck and kills you. He's not killed. He's considered a guy who's trying to save his life. This is the incredible halacha Moshe Misenai of of Kanoyim Poganbo. Now, I went into this in depth, or I read it because of the next halacha. Lo Pogobo Kanoyim, vo hilku bezdin, hare on shumafurish bedivre kaboa. Hmm. Let's say. No, nobody was a zealot, but you are having relations after your civil ceremony, or you're having relations with this non-Jewish woman. The Rambam said before, remember that it's makas mardos. Remember. Now the Rambam says something more. He says that. You are going to be punished for this. Besides Bezdin knowing about it and whether they warn you and what are the rules of how they can give you Makas Mardos, you will be punished based on the Psukim and Melochi, Shahu Nichras. So it sounds like you get Koris. Shenemar, Kichilo Yehuda es Kodesh Hashem Asher Ohev. Yehuda has violated, has 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 removed holiness from what God loves. Ubal, and he's had relations with Abbas El Nechor. He's had relations with the daughter of a foreign god. Yachres Adonai Leish Asher Yaseno. God will give a kores, will a cutting off to the person who does it. Ervaona. Now what does that mean? Ervaona. So the Rambam, based on the Gemara, explains, "Im Yisroelu lo yivo er b'chachomim." In other words, 
maybe he has other wives. Maybe he feels, but he has his wife, and this is his second wife. But you won't have children that will be with the Chachamim. You won't have the children that will be responsive, that will be, because that's what we want when you're in the level of a Chacham. We don't want you to, we don't want you dozing off. We want you to be aware of every little thing that's occurring. You have to be air. You have to be awake. You have to be noticing things, observant, and ready to pounce on any sort of inconsistency. You're not going to have such children. If you have exercised your desires by having some non-Jewish woman, don't think that you're going to be spared. This will have an effect, the Rambam says. First, he's, first he said it's kares. But now he's sort of, based on the Gemara, says, what's going to be with the child? It sounds like he might have children, but they won't make it on the high level. And if you're a Talmud, you at least have to be able to respond, to say back over. A Talmud needs to be able to repeat what he's heard. He won't be able to repeat. So the Kares, the way I'm reading this, is that this will affect your life. Now, Kares usually means you die young or your children die. Now, is that what the Rambam is trying to say? that you won't have a child, meaning your children will never make it to become Chachamim or Talmidim because they're going to die. You could interpret the Rambam that way. And if you're a Kohen, now, of course, if, if you're a Kohen, then you, you did the Avera of a Znus anyway, of a Zona. But what's going to happen? Meaning you won't have children that'll carry on, meaning in your other life, in, in, in your life, in your respectable life, you won't have children that will that will make you proud as Kohanim because they're gonna die. Hine, and behold, you learn something else. That from the fact that the, that we call this you had sex with the son of a foreign god or the daughter of a foreign god, that that non-Jew. It's like you were marrying into Avodazar itself. Which means even if she's not religious at all, the Rambam assumes that, based on this Pasuk in Malachi, that it's like you're connected to anti-God, to Avodazara. Shenemar Ubol Basel Nechor. So even though she has no, she's completely agnostic. Maybe she even likes Judaism. But it's like you have somehow thrown yourself into the pagan world. Anikra Machalo Kodesh. Then the Rambam says, implying that there is death. Now, again, I hear, I see maybe children dying. Maybe it means you'll die, you'll never have those children. Because here the Rambam says that there's no Misas Bezdin, indicating that there is some sort of kares that affects someone who's, who's, who is, is um, having relations with this non-Jewish woman. But he says, Don't think it's anything small. In many ways, 
having these relations with these non-Jewish women is worse. Okay, you don't believe in Kares? You don't believe nobody's going to come and take you and take you to Besden and, and, and cut your head off? But you know what? In some ways, it's worse than all the Arayas. Why? All the other incestuous and other relationships, that's your son. And the, the one that you, he's a mamzer, but he's part of Klal Yisrael. But the seed that you sow with a non-Jewish woman, that's not your son. Because the Pusik says that any time, the Torah says, you will go over and, and live with a non, or you let your son live with a non-Jewish woman, meaning any child that you will have from this union will be in the control, not just sociologically, but halachically, Actually, she'll be in that the mother will be the dominator force, and that child will not be considered a Jew. Now, the simple you could say, well, it's because she's part of that world. So she's part of that world, so she's probably going to encourage him. The Rambam is saying this as a fact, even if she is a a very loving and um, understanding Gentile. We need to look at her as the reason why, because the child is the byproduct of you and this woman. So therefore, she automatically causes the child to be not with God, meaning not as part of the Jewish people. And this vedoverzeh gorem lihidobek bagoyim. And the truth is, is that if you know your child is a non-Jew, you will move away from Judaism because you have a woman that you've had these relations with. You have this child that you know halakhically is considered part of that world. So even though you are a Jew, and it's hard to destroy that from you, but you will be connected to them. And do you want to be connected from them? God separated us from them. And, and by doing this and having this child, this is the path to Me'ilah, the path to betraying God. So this is the Rambam, these seven halachas here about relations with a non-Jew. Now, the question is, what does the Rambam mean when he says, lo pogobo akanoyim, lo hilku bezdim, hare oncho meforosh? Does that mean he was doing it b'farhesya? So in other words, this this terrible stuff that's in halacha vav. Now, I admit, halacha zayin could be even if it's not public. But the kares that's mentioned in halacha vav, could that, is that only if it's 
Pifarhesia, where you did it very publicly, where everybody knows about it, where you are brazenly taking her. This is a machlokas achronim in Shulchan Aruch. Um, and it seems if the Rambam in Sefer Mitzvah seems to indicate that this would be the case, even if it would the kare supplies. The person is having relations publicly, but nobody is zealous enough to kill him. What happens? So the says, Anche Rav Vigamre. Rav forgot what happens. Incredible. Rav forgot this. This that the Rambam codifies, Rav forgot it. So Ravkana had a dream, and in the dream, this Pasuk was read to him. What was it? Bug to Yehuda. Yehuda is dealt treacherously. Toeva nasta bi Yisrael. A toeva happened over Yerushalayim. Kichilo Yehuda kodesh Hashem. Asher ohev. Yehuda was machal. He profaned this holiness, the sacred part of God that God loved. Ubal basel nechard. He had sex with this daughter of a strange God. And he says, I had a dream. Uh, you didn't remember the halacha, and this dream came to me. Tomar says, Rav Rav remembered what he learned. Oh, I bugged the Yehuda, that's how I just call him. Toeva, Toeva is, is homosexuality. Okay. What is Kichilel Yehuda Kodesh Hashem? Zuzona. Hmm. Okay, that seems to be Znus having a squeeze, having a woman that you see uh, just for sex. That's that's Osir. What's Baal Bas El Nechor? That part of the Pasuk in Malachi? In Malachi? Ubal Bas El Nechor? That's Haboyo Akusis. That's the one who has taken a non-Jew. So is that the case of Farhesia? Is that Lopo? Again, this is really the question. You could just say, the Gemara could have asked, what's the din if a person has relations with a non-Jew? What's the din if a person has a secret relation with a non-Jew? What's the, but the Gemara says, it could be the Kares in every Farhesia. Maybe the Kares doesn't apply if it's a uh, if it's done bitsina, it's definitely not clear. Um, and that's the pasuk here. Bixiv basrei yachres Hashem liish asher yasenu ervaona. Now the car race is about many things. It's about avodazara. It's about uh, homosexuality. Um, and and as the Gemara makes the drasha that. If he's a Torah scholar, as you see from the translation here in Safaria, he'll have neither one among his descendants who calls and initiates discourse among the sages, nor one who answers among the students. Meaning, he won't have children. Now, does that mean kares? I, I guess so. But it seems to be kares, either kares plus or kares in a specific way.
And then the next statement, the So it's like you had actually are marrying, you're marrying Avodazar, it's marrying outside of the religion in Europe was really a dead issue until the Enlightenment. And even after the Enlightenment had dawned, there were still laws in the books in most of the countries prohibiting intermarriage. Now, what did that mean? For example, in Germany, a Jew could only marry a non-Jew if they converted. And this is, of course, what started to happen in the end of the 18th century. As the Enlightenment allowed Jews more of a presence in so many wider circles, and as Jews became closer in their attitudes and activities to non-Jews, when young Jewish women met non-Jewish men, or young Jewish men met non-Jewish women, the idea of them building a life together was restricted unless one of the parties, or actually the parties would convert. Now, in those times, in late 18th century Germany, it was one-way direction. The conversions were happening to Christianity, which, of course, we don't consider a conversion. But legally, when those occurred, although the state sanctioned and put its stamp of approval on the religious ceremony, it was Christian to Christian. Now, things became more complex after the French Revolution. After the French Revolution and ideas started percolating in the thought sphere, and with the rise of Napoleon, who may, who felt, and again, this is really an open question, what he really wanted. But clearly, he publicly spoke about giving complete citizenship to all the Jews in his domain. And of course, he was conquering areas outside of France, parts that had been part of the Austrian Empire, parts that had been part of Russia and other things, that those would become part of the French hegemony. And all Jews that were in the Napoleonic lands would be granted freedom of, and they would be given 100% citizenship to participate in almost every aspect of civic life. Now, along with that, there was another hitch, and that was that France had already determined that marriages were going to be essentially civil matters. Marriages were going to be essentially a a something you needed to legally get permission for, and you needed to perhaps see a doctor for, or you needed to to determine that you were healthy enough, or consent of the parents in case of a young bride or groom, for that matter. And those were all part of the civil laws governing marriage, and a marriage 
could then be consecrated, but didn't need to be consecrated. So you could basically have a, a, a civil marriage that had nothing to do with the church at all. And it got it was more even complex than that. There could not be a religious marriage unless it was preceded by a civil one. So in other words, what happened was that they started electing uh, in the Napoleonic lands priests, rabbis, officiants who were basically uh, part of the of the government system, and they were the only ones that could perform a religious ceremony, but only after there would be the secular paperwork. Now, you didn't have to go to one of these rabbis or priests or ministers, but those were the only ones that could really perform even a religious marriage. And here's where they sort of like the separation of church and state was not so clear. This was what was enacted in France. Now, the the Napoleon convened something that he called the Assembly of Notables. And he gave they, they gave them 12 questions. The assembly of notables were Jewish financiers and machers, as we would say, uh, who were some of them had some scholarly background. And then Napoleon said, You guys are going to choose a Sanhedrin, and we're going to have a Sanhedrin that's going to give the seal of approval, the official, and they will act as the body of, of of Jews from all over the empire to once again bring back the Sanhedrin of old. So there were 12 questions that were asked. And let's talk about it. We could have a whole class about this, but let's talk about the question. May a Jewess marry a Christian? or a Christian marry woman a Jew? Does religious law allow Jews to marry only among themselves? That was the question. Now, of course, they remember, there was the threat that if the answer isn't what we want it to be, they were worried that they would lose many of their rights or be expelled from the kingdoms, which could happen, which was a real threat. So there were two answers that were given. There was an answer that the Assembly of Notables gave, and then there was an, as the answer the, the Grand Sanhedrin gave. Here's the answer the Assembly of Notables gave. The Assembly of Notables declared that the biblical prohibition was limited to heathen peoples and did not extend to Christians who are monotheists. Now, they based that a little bit on the Rambam, right? As we saw, the Rambam and the it's talking about. Yes, it might, it might only be the Shiva Umois, but even if it's not the Shiva Umois, it's got to be Bas El Nechor. But a Christian is not El Nechor. A Christian has essentially the same God that we have. They also believe in one God. They might call him Jesus. But it's essentially one God. It's essentially the same God, the Judean Christian tradition. Now, 
So basically, the, 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 there is no law in the Torah, according to the Assembly of Notables, against marrying sex and marriage with a non-Jew, not a non-Jewish Christian. However, in practice, they said, rabbis would not solemnize such unions. Why? Because it goes against our tradition. There's a again. This is based on the Rambam again. There's a rabbinic law. Again, the Rambam is talking about having sex or having a a, a whore that you visit. They take this the Rabbanon, which is clearly not in what the Rambam says, and they say, "Oh, it's only rabbinic, and the, the rabbis won't do it." So therefore, um, it's not going to happen. Now, rabbis wouldn't ever have such a union in their synagogue and wouldn't officiate there. And therefore, that type of intermarriage couldn't happen. But they also pointed out that the church doesn't allow marriage to non-Jews either if you want to get married in the church. So, but if such a union occurs, such unions were valid that the Jews would believe that a Jew who marries a Christian is married according to French law, and there's no need for a divorce. Now, a number of months later, the Grand Sanhedrin met. And the Grand Sanhedrin was headed by Rabbi David Sinsheim. Rabbi David Sinsheim is a very well-known rabbinic figure. He wrote a, a very popular uh, sefer on, on, on Shas called Yad David, Chuvas Minchas Oni. Um, and Rabbi David Sinsheim, and I can show you a picture of him in a minute. Rabbi David Sinsheim was one of the greatest bibliophiles of his time. He had one of the most impressive rabbinic libraries in Europe. And his he was sort of like, you know, in a way... He could rival you know, many of the Chochem Avadia and others that we know today as in his knowledge of Svarim everywhere. This is what the Grand Sanhedrin said. The Grand Sanhedrin declares that marriage between Israelites and Christians contracted according to the laws of the Code Civil are from a civil standpoint binding and valid. Meaning, the marriage is a binding marriage and a valid marriage. And although such marriages cannot be invested with the religious forms, they shall not entail any disciplinary punishment. Meaning we won't, if a Jew marries a non-Jew, we will not punish them. We will not put them in cheyrem. We will not use any sort of religious pressure against them. Now, as Judith Bleich uh points out, no reference was made to the assertion regarding the biblical prohibition. They knew what the Rambam wrote. They knew what was the halacha. And they really, right, they didn't say that it was valid, that it has a shame of a marriage. They just said that from a civil standpoint, it's a binding, valid relationship. Clearly, this was what they needed to say. I don't think anybody blames them. Um, for and many times I will tell you when when I am um, 
involved in the Dintoro, I remember the the admonition of my Rebbe, Rev Gedalia Schwartz, that if you know you're dealing with a tough customer, don't explain too much. Give the psak and move on. It was extremely short, their answer. They didn't want to get into this murky question. But I think it really begs the point. Is it true that perhaps um, we're only dealing with rabbinic issues? Like the Assembly of Notables said? There was such an attitude among the French Jews and among the people in Europe in that time. And eventually, what starts to happen, you know, is, you know, flat out intermarriage. Judith Blake, in her article, mentions here, and I'll just read you the numbers. And this article was written a number of years ago. But let's take a look. In the United States, 50% of Jewish marriages involve a non-Jewish partner. In the European areas, it's 65%. Dr. Kogan, in the Russian Republic, it's above 75%. Does that sound that sounds accurate to you? Yes, uh, kind of. I, I researched that. I even wrote a paper on the intermarriage in the Russian. Do you think, so take, do you th- yeah. Give and take. It's definitely in the high numbers, maybe not yeah, 75, yeah. but. Yeah, in the, I mean, it's more in the 60s, um, 60s, or something like that. I, I thought it would be, I actually, I thought it would have been higher, but it's not. It's like the six, between 60s and 70s, something like that. Right. Now, so what we have, interestingly, in the United States, it's well over 50%. And Eretz Yisrael, though, <laughs> because of this, st- because of the rules of, of law of return, the sense of Israeli identity, Israeli identity being a Jewish identity, we now are confronted with conversions that seem to be missing sincerity. Um, and I don't know if, um, you know, again, you have traditionalist parents who want the conversion. Um, and that's, or they want the benefit of, 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 of Israeli society. And this is why we are confronting this issue again. I want to end tonight with the Rambam. Where's the Pusik in the Torah that you have to be Makabal Mitzvos? Well, the Rambam mentions it for the first time over here. He says, if you have an Evid, Avdus, Bohem. So the Rambam assumes that even a slave who's been taken forcefully out of his their country, and now you push them into this mikvah for the sake of Avdus. And yet, despite their situation, they are makabel mitzvos. They know they're in a tough situation. 
Maybe they've made peace with it. But the Rambam says, in order for them to have the din of what we call a Eved Knani, they need to be makabal mitzvos. They don't have much choice in their lives about what they're going to do. But we, they need to be makabal mitzvos. What mitzvos? They have the mitzvos that Avodim need to do, which are all the mitzvos, for example, uh, if it's a man, only the mitzvos that a woman is high of it. The Rambam says, Yotsu Michlal Hagoyim. They're no longer a goy. So this is already a, a line of demarcation. There's Tvila and there's Kabbalah's mitzvos. But we talk about Kabbalah. Remember what type of Kabbalah we're talking about. This is not someone who, who is in this situation totally out of choice. This is someone who because of the winds of war have has brought them here. The winds of war have, have moved and, and, and brought them to this precipice where, okay, I guess the, the Jewish army won. Our, our city is devastated. They're taking me in chains. I'm going to someplace called Tel Aviv, wherever I'm going. And, and okay, and now they want me to go to work. So then they tell me I got to be Makabo Mitzvos. If that happens, they are no longer a non-Jew. And therefore, the Rambam says, that's why a shivcha uh, is not, that's why a shivcha, a woman who goes through this process, is not truly a, a Jewish woman. And you are going to get makos if you have sex with her, the same way uh, she'd be a non-Jew, meaning she's not really a non-Jew, but she's still not a Jew, and you get makos if the person you're having sex with is not yet a, a Jew. Now, the Rambam says that shaharei mefurish We know that. A, a a person who's an evid, who's an indentured slave, a servant, has sex with this woman. So it must be only in that case, only in the case of an evid, does that happen. But if it's not a case of an evid, having relations with that woman is must be illegal. But it's not Osir Minatora, according to the Rambam. It's, it would be Osir Midarabonon. Now, where would it be where would it be Osir Minatora if she'd be a Shivcha that was connected already in a marriage-like situation to another slave? But if she's not, if she's just a Shivcha who's just loose, so she is just as bad as a Goya, but it's only Darabonon. And once again, the Rambam has to say, don't think that doesn't make it so bad. You're not going to get Makos because that kid is also not your kid. The kid is technically, the kid is not a Goyesh kid. Shaben min ha eved He's not really a Jew completely. So once again, your biological seed is no longer part of you. And what happens? Your holy seed becomes mischalel. 
strange the Rambam should write that way. The Zera HaKodesh is Mischalo because it, you didn't produce another Jewish body. It was a Eved body because they are Avodim. Now, here the Rambam piles it on even though he disagrees. The Rambam says that Unculus translates, of course, Unculus to Ger, was Metargame Bilas Eved Veshivcha in Lo Yehakodesh, which is a law from the Torah. But the Rambam doesn't agree with Unculus necessarily. At least he doesn't, I'm not sure if he does. But the Rambam says, well, look at Unculus. Unculus says that's, look how bad it is. It's part of the law of Lo Yehakodesh. But according to Unculus, you would get Makos. So he says, look, I don't believe with, I don't agree with Unculus. But Unculus is pretty good. So even though, right, the, don't think this Avera is small potatoes, because there's a big person out there who thinks it's pretty bad, even though I don't agree with it. And the Ram has to say, but there's no Kanoyim Poganbo. She's not a real guy. Because you wouldn't have, it's not Kanoyim Poganbo that if you do it publicly, we're going to kill you. And you're not going to get Makos because she's definitely not a guy. So here we have the beginning of a type of Gerus that I think is somewhat of a template to uh, the type of Gerum that we sort of see today. It's sort of like the Shifcha. What sort of Ger is she? She's definitely not a, a guy anymore. Okay, but I think it really, you know, it sets really the 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 sets us up, I believe, for. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 